verses number 40. I'm speaking on the theme this morning or on the subject of the faith challenge. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 39, the Bible says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Father, I thank you for how you have taught our hearts this year about faith. God, I know my heart has been strengthened, my heart has been instructed, and I pray that your people have been strengthened this year as we think about faith, living by faith, acting upon faith. God, I'm thankful this morning that we don't have to store up faith as it were, but rather exercise it. We see the Word of God, we hope in it, we believe in it, and we put it into action. And God, I pray that you would help us to put faith into action this very morning as we, by faith, hear what the Holy Spirit has for us. Guide us, help us to be faith-filled hearers this morning. God, if there's one here that, is not, that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray they will get saved. If there's one that's watching this morning that does not know Christ, I pray they too will get saved. I pray that you please would meet with us once again. Anoint your word with your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. A couple of months ago, my family and I had the opportunity to go to one of our favorite places here in the UK, Windsor Castle. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And as you go down Windsor Castle, if you've been, you know there are many corridors, there are many halls, rooms. And I remember going down one of those halls, and as we were going down this corridor, there was knights or armor that was displayed. There were some, of course, inscriptions and some little plaques giving some history behind who was in that armor or who battled in that armor. Sometimes it was a king. Sometimes it was an infamous knight. But it gave you an idea of who was battling with that protection, with that armor. And as we would see and see some history through that, it gave you a glimpse of the battles and of the wars that were fought. Truly, the history behind that is powerful. The testimony is rich. This year, though, we have journeyed down the halls of a kingdom that's much greater than any kingdom here on this earth, the kingdom of God. And as we have looked upon some armor, some bodies of flesh, some men and women and even children that have stepped out by faith and God has used them in a powerful way here on this earth, we have seen and stood in awe of some amazing people that stood upon their hope and belief in God. This year we have looked and we have seen men like Abel. Abel who 
of course, as a son of Adam and Eve, the very first people in whom God created. And the Bible teaches us that Abel stood and believed on a sacrifice, a sacrifice that pictured the blood sacrifice. He offered a lamb, whereas his brother Cain chose to offer his own works. He stood by faith, and God mentions him in Hebrews 11 as one of the knights in shining kingdom armor. We've seen a man named Enoch, a man who enjoyed such a close walk with God that God decided to translate or take him to be with himself. How that happens, we'll we'll know one day, but we do know that God translated or took Enoch in a, as that close relationship with him would continue and flourish, yea, upon heavenly shores. We looked at a man named Noah, a man who preached righteousness for 120 years, built an ark for something he had never seen, rain or a flood. And along with that tremendous man of faith, God would use him to save mankind and every living kind upon this earth. We saw a man named Abraham, a man who walked by faith with his wife, Sarah, and received a son, Isaac. We looked at a man named Moses, who, of course, God used to lead the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. What a man of faith. We looked at a lady named Rahab, a woman who was not in a lifestyle that was pleasing to God before she got saved, but God changed her life. And she became an heir to the Son of God. There were others like Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, mothers, children, and so many others that stepped out and took some steps of faith. If you were to walk down the corridor of the hall of the kingdom of faith of God, that king, that corridor would stretch on for a very, very long time. It's incredible to think of all these dear people who stepped out by faith. But the incredible thing is, is that when we go to Windsor Castle, we can see a testimony of someone who fought in a battle, rallied maybe an army, led a nation. And you can see that testimony, but many times, sadly, it ends there. However, when you look at these dear people who served by faith and lived by faith, oh yes, their bodies have ceased. But they are living by faith today. They are living in a kingdom, a perfect place called heaven. You see, their testimony, yes, here on this earth, will be remembered, but they have a testimony and a life that is continuing to live by faith to this very day. Incredible as we think about these who had a testimony of faith. This morning, as we think about the challenge of faith, I want us to remind ourselves this morning, first of all, the testimony of faith. Look at our text today. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse number 39 with me. And these all, having obtained a good 
report through faith received not the promise. All these that we have mentioned and so many more have received a good report. That word report there is an interesting word. It actually means to be approvingly testified of, to become affirmed favorably by firsthand authentication. In other words, God says their faith has been authenticated. It has been verified. It has been validated, as it were. We have a lot of devices today that need some authentication for us to use them. Maybe it's a fingerprint sensor. You put your fingerprint on a little uh, pad and it reads it and suddenly it unlocks the device and enables you to use it. Or maybe it's facial ID and it scans your face and this year it scans and scans and scans and scans and scans and uh, doesn't read a whole lot with our mask on. But, uh, uh, but it senses and we, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll authenticate who we are and enable us or open the door for things truly to be used or for yea, that device to be validated and, of course, to be utilized. God says the faith of these people have been validated. It has been authenticated. And when God authenticated their faith, they literally saw God move mountains. The earth and the sun itself was moved by their faith. The Bible teaches us that because of their faith, they quenched the, the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Because of their exercise in faith, God moved his mighty hand and he did the impossible through their action of faith. You see, faith moved the impossible nature of God. I love what verse number six in our chapter that we've been looking through this year, Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, without faith, it is impossible to, to please God without exercising faith. And it is exercising faith to please God that does the impossible. It's a great statement right there. Faith moves the impossible nature of God. But what was their faith built upon? What did they hope in? What did they believe in? What was it that they were moved to action upon notice the bible tells us in our text in hebrews eleven thirty nine that they moved upon a promise not received they received not the promise their faith was moved 
by something in which they would not receive. What is that speaking of? What were they hoping in? What were they believing in? What was it that was moving them to action? What is this promise that God was speaking of? In order to answer that, go to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians shows us and teaches us what this promise is that moved these dear saints in the Old Testament, that moved those who would lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt to a promised land, that moved people to hope and believe in a flood that had never been seen, nor rain that had never yet fallen. What was this promise? In Galatians chapter 3, look at the Bible, what the Bible says in verse number 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. What is this speaking of? God made a promise to one man, to one family. It wasn't a promise of many different people having heir to what is what about of what of what Paul's about to teach the church in Galatia. He said there's one family that God chose to use. There's one family that God chose to bless the world in. What was that? And to thy seed, which is Christ. What is the promise that these dear saints in the Old Testament moved upon? What was it that their faith was built upon? It was upon Christ. Their faith, the promise in which they received, was the hope of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 13, in verse number 23, keep your place there in Galatians, we're going to come right back to it. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus the promise that these dear people hoped in, the promise that these people were moved upon was nothing else than Jesus Christ. It was the hope of the Messiah. It was hope of the Savior. The Bible tells us in verse number 17 of Galatians chapter 3, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, there's that covenant, there's that promise, it was confirmed in Christ. The law, which was 430 years after cannot disannul. That word disannul there means to void. In other words, when God brought the law to the children of Israel, it didn't void the promise of Christ. It didn't replace Christ. It was rather a beautiful picture, a sign pointing people to the Christ that was coming. The Bible says that it should not, that it should make the promise of none effect For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. In Galatians chapter 3, he is pulling the church of Galatia away from the focal point of works, but focusing upon the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. It is all upon Christ, the promise that the children of Israel served, the promise that the saints in the Old Testament looked forward to was nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ. Thank God for Christ. They looked forward to him. They looked to him. He was the promise. That was so powerfully fulfilled after their bodies breathed the last breath. They did not receive that promise, but God was going to fulfill that promise. Years ago, when my wife and I first got married, 
I began driving a lorry for a company called Contract Lumber. It was a straight truck, and it was, had a lifting bed on it, and I would deliver wood to new homes that was being built in the area. We would drive up to an empty lot, and we would reverse into a sometimes a very muddy field and lift that bed up, and I would uh, uh, step on the uh, accelerator as hard as I could sometimes, and it would dislodge that load of wood, and it would slide off the back, and that was how we delivered, and that was the setup that they had. And we did that over and over again, all over, all over the Columbus, Ohio area. I did that for some time. And as I was entering my first year of winter driving this truck, and it would be filled with hundreds and hundreds of pounds of lumber and materials and timber and all those things in which would be delivered to new homes. I would drive during winter down these roads that I had driven many, many times. Didn't even think anything about it. They were all over different parts, and I knew some side roads, some back roads that could get me to those sites faster. And it was nearing Christmas time, and I wanted to get home. We didn't have any children at that time, and I wanted to spend Christmas with my wife, and so I was anxious to get home, and I was taking those back roads like I had done for months and months and didn't think anything about it. And as I was taking a back road, I noticed that a sheriff saw me pull onto this back road and began following me. I didn't think anything about it. I was doing the speed limit. I was just carrying the lumber or the timber that was on the back of the truck like I had always been. Sheriffs had followed me before. didn't think anything about it. He followed me for some time. And all of a sudden, we crossed a bridge. Just a small bridge. Just a small little ditch that it went over. Done it many times. All of a sudden, I see some flashing lights behind me. And the sheriff had me stop. I was confused. I had no idea what was going on. I was driving within the speed limit. As far as I know, everything was legal. There was flags on the back of my timber. I, I, didn't, I, didn't know, I had no idea why he was pulling me over. He stopped, and I stopped, of course, and he got out, and he came up to the door of the truck, and he said, I need you to get out. I said, what, I, what, I, what, what did I do? What, what's wrong? And he says, I just need you to get out. I said, okay. So I got out, and I stood in front of my truck, and as I'm standing there, he pulls out these big metal discs, these rectangular discs with handles on the side of out of his sheriff's vehicle. And he puts them out in front of each tire, and he says, I need you to get in, and he said, I need you to roll, and I'm going to tell you when to stop. I said, okay. So I move just a little bit forward, and he says, okay. So I need you to stop. And he goes around and he looks at something. I couldn't tell what it was because I was in the truck on each one of those discs and comes back and he says, okay, now I need you to pull forward just a little bit further. And I did. And my vehicle went off of that, those discs and he collected them, put them in his truck. And I began to wait and wait and wait. And he came and he says, why did you choose to drive down this road 
And I said, it's how I get to this construction site. That's, that's why. I didn't think anything about it. I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? And he says, did you not see the sign? I said, what sign? In Ohio, may not, this may not be in every, in every area, but in Ohio, in the wintertime, it gets considerably cold. Negative Celsius degrees, we get snow, and there are times where it gets, doesn't get above zero degrees Fahrenheit, sometimes for many, many days. And because of that, they put weight restrictions on, the, on the, some of the bridges to eliminate, of course, from the bridge contracting a little bit and extra weight being put upon it for that bridge to take undue stress in the wintertime. And if you don't catch it, there are a sign as you start the road and a sign a little before that bridge that tells of what's coming. You may not even know a bridge is up, up that road, but it might be two miles up the road. And there's that sign posted and then another sign just before the bridge, again, reminding you of the previous sign. I had never even noticed those signs. I didn't know you had to. I didn't know it was a thing. I found out very quickly. It is a thing. You are supposed to look at those signs. And sure enough, it says from November to about beginning of, of April, you are not with certain loads supposed to drive. And I could drive down that road if I was empty. There was no big deal. But with a load, I was overweight. And it was warning me of what was coming. I may not be able to see that bridge, but the warning was there and that warning that was not heeded was a hefty price to pay the ticket was $780 to drive over that bridge that was an expensive error that was an expensive mistake it costs something to go past the warnings that were given. God gave the children of Israel a promise. He gave the whole world a promise. He gave them a sign that said, I'm sending my son. Even before that bridge of Christ would be placed, would be built, that sign showed if you heed not the warnings, if you choose to go ahead, it is certain death. It is certain eternal death that cannot be avoided. It is certain destruction. Heed the warning. Trust in Christ. They had a choice. They couldn't see the bridge, but they had the same warning that you and I have. They had the same hope that you and I have. They look forward to the bridge that was going to be built. We now look at the bridge that has been built. But they looked at what was to come, and they had a hope of acting upon a promise that they would not receive. They would not see. They would not see Christ on Calvary. They would not see Christ pay a price for our sins. Physically speaking, I believe God put them in a place of a beautiful paradise where they would witness uh, 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 in, in 
in soul and spirit, the, uh, the uh, events on Golgotha. And I believe that God truly came down and testified of the acts and said, I am the one that he, and he gave them a, ultimate, a choice. Trust in me now. Would you choose me? Those that were trusting in that promise, those that were looking forward to that promise. The Bible teaches us that they had a choice like you and I have to heed the signs, to heed the warnings. And these dear people that God has presented to us now give to us a challenge. A challenge of faith. What is this challenge of faith? Look at verse number 40 with me, please. We're almost done. The Bible tells us God having provided some better thing for us. That's a powerful thought right there. The Old Testament, dear saints, did not have the full candid of Scripture. We do. They didn't know what was going to happen when they were thrown into the lion's den. We know what happened when they were thrown into the lion's den. They didn't know what was going to take place when they went against a, a giant with a sling. We know what happened. God's provided a better thing for us that they, without us, should not be made perfect. These dear old, dear saints in the Old Testament did not know all the events that was going to take place on Calvary. They knew that Jesus was coming. They knew the Messiah was going to be coming through Abraham's family. They didn't know exactly how it was going to take place. They knew and had prophecy to look forward to, and they had an idea, but they didn't know all the details. They didn't know God was going to use a woman named Mary. God didn't, uh, they didn't know that he was going to be crucified specifically on a Roman cross. There was a lot of details that they had to hope in and look for and say, I know the Savior is going to be sacrificed. I know he's going to shed his blood. I know he's going to pay the price, but they didn't know exactly how it was all going to transpire. They hoped in that bridge, and by, and by the grace of God, God has given us the historical facts of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus came by way of a virgin birth. We know that he lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years. We know that he did die on the cross. We did... Oh, 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 we know that he was buried in a borrowed tomb for just a few short days. We know that on that third morn, he rose again. We know that he's ascended up into heaven. We know the historical facts and evidence that has been presented and validated, not just by one person, not just by the word of God, not just by those close 11 disciples. It was not just a few small people, but there were hundreds upon hundreds of people who would give evidence and proof that Jesus Christ is alive, that he did rise again. That tomb would be something in which would be empty for all to see. God did everything in full transparency. There was nothing hidden. He displayed it all for the world to see. I am, my, I am the Savior, and I am the one that came to die for you. God made it very clear for all the world to see that there is a bridge, a bridge built named Jesus. And that bridge truly has had the wonderful sign of the word of God, not only foretelling, but now as we look upon it, it truly gives evidence, powerful evidence, 
to Jesus Christ. We see the proof of salvation in Him. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 40, that we perfect their faith. That word faith, or that word perfect there, means to complete or to validate once again. So when we put our faith and trust in Christ for salvation, it verifies, it validates, it helps complete their life and their testimony of faith. Think about that for just a moment. God says when we act upon faith, it validates or verifies or perfects the Old Testament saints' faith. It gives evidence that what they stood for was right, that what they believed and what they hoped in was truly what God had instated. When we take steps of faith, it validates the faith of David. It verifies the, the, the faith of Noah. It proves the faith of Moses. That's a powerful thought right there. So what we do in faith gives evidence or perfection, a completion to the life of the Old Testament saints. You see, because it's not speaking of just of salvation. Salvation is key. Salvation is the most important step of faith that anyone can ever take, turning from sin and repenting of that and turning to Christ. There's no greater choice, no greater step of faith. But it also is speaking about living by faith. Let's get the context of Hebrews 11. In order for us to get the context of Hebrews 11, let's see whom the writer of Hebrews is speaking to. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, we see in verse number 1, whom Hebrews 11 is addressing. Notice what it says. Wherefore, notice these words, holy brethren. Holy brethren. What does that mean? That is speaking to those who have been born again children of God. Partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, G, or Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. What is the context of Hebrews chapter 11? Who is he speaking to? He is speaking to those who are saved, who are part of the holy family of God. And as he is speaking to the holy family of God, he's saying, yes, your faith in Christ validates and perfects, in essence, uh, the, uh, uh, the very faith of the Old Testament saints, but your living by faith perfects. It completes their faith. God not only wants us to choose to put our faith in Him for salvation, that's the most important decision one could ever make, but God wants us to not just simply get saved and say, okay, I'm going to heaven and now I can live however I want. That's never was God's design. For now, He addresses us and He says, you're living by faith. How you live by faith 
gives verification, completion to Daniel as he stood in a lion's den. It perfects Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith. It shows that it's real. How does it show that it's real? God wants us then to look at the Old Testament or the Holy Spirit and to hear his wonderful voice. As the, whole, as the Holy Spirit tells us, go on. Prove that the faith of, these, of those in the Old Testament was valid and secure in God. It's perfect to complete, uh, perfect and complete their lives of faith by picking up the torch of faith. The Olympic Games is something, of course, that the whole world looks to. Every two years, summer or Olympic or winter Olympic Games transpire. That whole scene of the Olympic Games doesn't start on the ceremony of the opening of the Olympic Games. It actually starts months earlier. When a flame is lit in Olympia, Greece. And when that flame is lit, there is a torch that is lit from that fire. And that fire then is carried on a torch from one place to another. Over the following months, runner after runner, relay after relay, takes the torch and carries it on across continents, across wherever the world, wherever in the world that Olympic stadium may be. And that torch finally reaches its destination, not because of one runner that ran it, but because of one runner that started the race and relayed the torch gave continuance to the fire that started in Olympia, Greece. And when that final runner comes and he enters the stadium, he runs usually around that stadium one time with that torch, and then that torch then lights the cauldron there in the Olympic Games. The race began in Greece, and it ended at that stadium. God has selected some runners. A fire, faith, if we can put it that way, that is to be passed on, to be relayed as the torch is relayed from one runner to another. And that relay, that baton that is of, the, of that David picked up when he faced Goliath, when Moses picked up when he stood before Pharaoh, when Noah picked up as he picked up those nails to begin preparing the ark, as all the Old Testament saints began living by faith, as that baton was picked up, it is then passed on from one to another, to another, to another. It's passed on to you and I today. We have an opportunity to pick up that same baton of faith and to perfect it, to complete that race, to complete that race of faith that has been set before us. Notice in verse number one of the following chapter, wherefore, wherefore, if we see that wherefore, we ought to see what it's there for. 
What is it there for, Hebrews chapter 11? Faith. Acting upon faith. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I know we can look at that and we can debate maybe about what those great cloud of witnesses may be, but I believe as we see the context of Hebrews 11 and the continuance into chapter 12, I believe that it's those whom, yea, God has highlighted in that hall of faith. That great hall of faith is looking upon us as a cloud of witnesses. Then they say, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. They said, put away those things that's going to hinder you from the race. Put away those things that's going to trip you up. Put those things away that's going to cause you not to be able to run your race like God desires. He says, put those things aside and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. God says, run, run. Take that baton of faith. Pick it up from those who have served in previous generations, who have carried on, yea, from the Old Testament saints, and do what God instructs us. What does he instruct us? Run. Running is faith because it's an action. Running with that baton of faith is a belief and a hope in God that he has something for us. My friends, I don't know what God's race is for your life. I know... I see what he has for me at this very moment, but by the grace of God, we can run the race that God sets before us. Let's run. Let's go forward. Let's run that race. There's a host of people around watching us from the shores of heaven, looking at the grandstands of heaven, as it were, and focusing and saying and cheering for us, run, keep going, go forward. My friends, we need to do that exact same thing this year. Let's finish 2020 well. Let's finish our life on on this earth here well. Let's run that race of faith. Run the race of faith. Notice what he says in verse number 12. Because we're looking for something. We're pressing towards something. What is that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God designed faith. And God tells us when our life of faith is finished. He's the author, the beginning, and the end of our faith. He's the reason I got saved. Because without Christ, I have no hope. But now that I'm saved, He's the finish line. He's the mark. He's the one I'm pressing forward to. Who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason you and I ought to accept that baton of faith. Go to the text slide, if you would, there, David. As that baton is passed upon us, God presents us with a challenge. We have an opportunity to grab that baton and to run. I don't know all that God has for your life. That's between you and God. May I encourage you this morning to run that race. Run it well. The Old Testament saints chose to live by faith. They passed the baton to us 
now may we run looking to the finish line. The finish line is Jesus Christ. Let's run. Let's live by faith. But first, that challenge must be accepted. God's not going to force us to live a life by faith. The baton is offered to us. The question is this morning, will you accept that challenge to live by faith? Will you choose to be the one that others can look to and say he was a just